Hello and welcome to Real World HR, a podcast which is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, HR expert, chartered CIPD professional and founder of award-winning HR consultancy Oculus HR. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people and business, telling the stories that we've learned from and explain the processes that have supported the solutions. On this episode, I'm joined by attorney, keynote speaker, speaker mentor and author Kelly Charles Collins, who's based in sunny Florida. Kelly's passionate about revolutionising the way leaders and employees address the issues of justice, diversity, equality, inclusion and belonging in the workplace. She's also an advocate for building conversational workplace cultures, which I'm excited to hear more about on this episode. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? So thank you very much, Kelly, for coming along with us um, today on this on our little podcast journey. Um, and we're really obviously excited to hear what um, what we're going to be talking about and our conversation that we're going to have to be able to take forward there. So do you want to give me a little bit of intro about who you are? Because obviously as we're going through that, we've got so much information, an attorney, keynote speaker, speaker <laughs> mentor, author. So you've obviously got a huge amount going on, I would imagine, over over recent times. Um, but if you can just give us a little bit of idea of what your story is and your experience that you've got, that would be fantastic. Sure, absolutely. First of all, Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is so wonderful. Um, to just give, a, you know, you have the list of things that I am or or that I've done in, in this world, but I'm actually a retired attorney right now. I retired in 2019, so right before the pandemic, but I practiced law as an employment law trial attorney. I began as a public defender, but then um, became an employment law trial attorney, really working with businesses and defending businesses in all of the employer-employee relationship issues, right? So discrimination, harassment, all of that. And as I did that for over two decades and watching what was happening inside of organizations and seeing how like the smallest of things can turn into such a nightmare for both the employee and for the organization, because we either ignore it or we want to put it to the side or we want to act like it didn't, you know, things just don't happen or we want to discount them. I started to think about how could I make a greater impact in the world? Like what could I do beyond the, you know, the walls of being an attorney? And I started, um, really thinking about what I had done over the years. And I was always speaking and training and really coaching my clients. And so I started looking into the world of professional speaking and training and taking myself out of, you know, the day to day of trials and court and all of that and taking that expertise and really leveraging that expertise in a different way. And what I knew is that you know, oftentimes it was the either lack of communication or miscommunication that landed my clients in my office and then in court. And one of my very last trials, um, which was a two week uh, trial in federal court, there was it was an email, just a simple email that really just torpedoed, right? My client's case. And so it just, it, you know, became very apparent to me that there were things that we needed to work on. And obviously the cases that I worked on were a lot of them around discrimination, harassment. And so really wanted to understand how do I help people? How do I help organizations? And how do I help the people who work in organizations really come together? And so I started honing in on unconscious bias. And um, at the time I started um, as a full-time entrepreneur speaker, 
really thinking about how do you investigate claims? I wrote a book about that. And then, you know, have really transitioned more into talking about how do we really have courageous conversations? Because in the light of, you know, what happened with the murder of George Floyd and all of the things that happened and organizations bringing me in to do unconscious bias training and do listening sessions, what I really learned from that was that people really want to engage in these conversations. They just don't have the skills. And so I'm on a mission to ensure that I equip employees and leaders with the proper skills to be able to engage effectively in those conversations without causing any type of collateral damage. That's really interesting, isn't it? From the point of view of being in those defendant situations, obviously with the employee-employees type situations. I know obviously employment law is completely different in the UK to what it is in the US as well. And so would you find that a majority of things that you would be dealing with would be around discrimination and and harassment as well? Um, Yeah, most of it was, yeah, most of it was around um, discrimination. So, you know, based on anything, could be race, gender, sex, sexual orientation, any of the, what we call here in the United States in Title VII, the protected categories, Um, So it was a lot around that. And then the harassment and another big um, thing was retaliation. So people, you know, bringing it up and complaining about it and then being retaliated against for it. Right. And people then being able to make claims against the organization for being treated unfairly. Is that would that be the harassment element of what you were doing? Yes. And it could just, and it could be interpersonal harassment. So it might be a manager and a supervisor, an employee and an employee. So it could be any manner of harassment. And the harassment, again, based on our laws here, relates to those protected categories, right? And so that's what makes it a viable claim. And so those are the types of claims that, that we would get. And again, just the fallout from some of that would then end up with, you know, someone saying, well, I complained about it. And now that I complained about it, now I'm being written up. Now I'm being, you know, blacklisted. Now I'm being fired. Um, Or you've made this environment so horrendous and hostile that I have no choice but to quit. Right. So like being constructively discharged because you just don't feel that you can stay in that environment anymore. Yeah. So. So obviously it's a very, obviously from my point of view, I've worked in HR for 25 years. So, and it's very similar type of situations that we come across obviously within the UK. So really for you taking that next step from there is that level of understanding of what you know that people are going through within the workplace. And I suppose you've then moved on to the education part of actually what can you do to prevent as much as possible those type of situations coming up. Is that, is that, is that kind of the lesson learned that you kind of took from it and you thought, I, I want to make a difference? Yes. Because what I, you know, one of the things that I always did as a defense attorney um, working with my clients is to be, to help them, try to help them be proactive. So even in the midst of them coming to me, because something has now happened, it's like, okay, what can we do going forward so that this does not happen again? So I've always been in that kind of training mode of, you know, let's, Mm. let's make sure, even though this is how I make money (laughs) as a defense attorney, (laughs) let's make sure that this doesn't happen going forward or put some type of, you know, put things in place so that even if it does happen, because it's going to happen, yeah, that we have our ducks in a row in terms of, you know, how do you respond to this effectively? And if it does end up in my office, okay, we have everything. We have the documentation. We have the policies and, you know, procedures in place. We are enforcing the policies and procedures yeah. that are in place. And so the other thing that I realized though, um, Louise, is that even though a lot of the cases were about discrimination, 
very few like are like outright I'm discriminating against you, right? There are things, there are circumstances, there's context around everything that you're like, okay, this has to be, right? It's disparate treatment or, you know, um, statistically, it looks like this has to be discrimination. But what I also realized though, is that because we have biases, a lot of it comes from those, comes from our conscious bias. And so we're making decisions about people. We're making decisions about, you know, situations based on those biases. And so when I decided that I wanted to speak, I could have spoken about, you know, harassment and discrimination and all the things that I did as an actual trial lawyer. Mm -hmm. But I started thinking about how do you really get to people? How do you really um, open what I say, open people's hearts so that they change their minds? And for me, it was to really um, highlight for people and that around what unconscious bias is, how it impacts the decisions that you make and the people who you're making decisions about and really opening people up to wanting to change, to admit that they have these biases and that they really do impact people. And then having the willingness to want to change and then giving them the tools, right, that and the skills to be able to change, right, and to disrupt their biases because we have them. They're never going away. We get new ones every day. Yeah. <laughs> but how to disrupt in the moment and really acknowledge that it's it's there and be more aware of what our decisions were and how they're impacting the environment and so an environment and the culture. And so that's why I focused on unconscious bias as opposed to like coming out and saying, let's talk about discrimination. Yeah. And I think there's so many relevant points within that because you, we deal with situations where people are maybe um, making a claim around discrimination or harassment in the workplace. And actually, when you look at it, you do think, well, actually, that doesn't sound to me, doesn't sound like it is or isn't. But actually, it's who are we to be able to make that decision of how somebody else has been made to feel? If somebody feels as though they've been harassed or discriminated against in some way, that's not for not for me or you to make that decision. And it's because of everything else that's kind of circumstantial. About. We always kind of think about how it's, about, how it's made somebody else feel because mm-hmm. of the circumstances that's there. So, and a lot of it, I remember doing it, um, which I've spoken about before now, a podcast, kind of a, a, harass, a sexual harassment one. And the, the things that had happened were kind of so, what in my opinion, were really kind of very low key, very kind of, you know, just chatting and, you know, type of conversations. And there was only one part of it that wasn't. And and it was very much about how she'd been made to feel because of the circumstances behind it. And and obviously the kind of end result was that the employee ended up losing, his, the, the manager ended up losing his uh, role within the company because of the actions that had been taken. So I think it's, it is educating that people have different biases and kind of make different decisions based upon what they already know which is a massive impact within an organisation, isn't it? Because if the employer has kind of different ways of thinking, then it can be completely opened up, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but here, so when we have um, harassment claims or retaliation claims or discrimination claims, though it's between a manager and an employee, 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 those managers or employees can't be sued. It's the corporation, right? It's the business that is being sued. And so there is a a huge responsibility for making sure that you are creating a culture and an environment that does not tolerate that, you know, and, and, and that you're mindful of who's in the organization. You know, oftentimes we get these cases where the person who is, you know, the harasser, just say, we'll just say that, right? 
is a top person in the organization, right? So it could be top in terms of they're at an executive level, leadership level, or they may be the top salesperson or the top performer. And oftentimes, you know, I have to tell my clients, like, you can't be clouded by that, right? Because that is going to destroy the organization. And so the organization, because you're the one who's ultimately responsible, you're the one who's going to end up paying, it's important to make sure that you know who's in the organization. And so, again, this is why for me, addressing people's biases and helping them to be able to communicate. And we think about communication and courageous conversations as a lot of times we think of it as just being a verbal conversation, but it's not. We communicate in so many different ways and with so many different modalities now. So, it's important for for organizations to really start to you know create these cultures where they're safe, where they're inclusive, where people are held accountable, and also where every every person matters and every voice matters, right? That to me that is where all of this begins. It's at the human level, like really mm-hmm. dealing with people and their humanity. And mm-hmm. I think doing that, I believe doing that will really cut down on a lot of the things um, that we see that's happening in the workplace. Because when we don't think of people as human, when we don't think of, you know, when we don't respect each other, then we'll just do anything. We'll say yeah. anything to each other. And do you think this has been more prominent over, you know, as the call for this, pro- I know you've obviously been doing it since 2019, so kind of um, three, four years the call for this, do you think is more prominent now over kind of the last three or four years? Or do you think it's something that was kind of lower key and then risen up over the last, you know, kind of be more significant? What, what's your kind of thoughts around the, the yeah. relevance of the time that we, that you're actually doing this in? Yeah. So, you know, the conversation around DEI has probably been, you know, a couple of decades old and it started with just diversity. Then we went to diversity and inclusion. Then we went to diversity, equity and inclusion. Now we have, you know, belonging added on and accessibility. So the conversation is expanding and will continue to expand. I think what happened is, um, you know, during the pandemic, so we had the George Floyd murder, and people were really, they had no choice but to watch, right? So these conversations have been going on forever and ever and ever. And the, this topic has been around forever. In that moment, however, there was, people had to stop and take notice. No longer could you just go about your day. You know, all these things happen. Police brutality happens every day in this country. But for the most part, if it's not in your realm, if it's not in your neighborhood, right, It's that's over there. And so people could just go about going to the gym or going to work or going on vacation and doing the things that they wanted to do. When we were at home and forced to be at home and forced to watch this thing every single day on loop, people who normally would not have this in their, you know, in their space were forced, right, to pay attention and to really reckon with what is this? How did this happen? Why is this happening? And what do I do about it? Right. And so in that moment, in those, you know, few years, everyone was like, okay, I'm in or I'm out. (laughs) We're going to, you know, companies are like, yes, come on in, come on in. We need you to come and do all these things. We need the training. We need the listening sessions. Now that the world has opened back up and people are going back about their daily lives. And there isn't this um, spotlight 
right? Real spotlight and almost like floodlight really on the issue. You do see that there's some pullback, some pushback, some resistance around the focus on these types of issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so those who are all in and who during the pandemic were all in for the right reasons because it's the right thing to do as opposed to I'm here to check the box and I don't want to be the one that's just out here not doing anything. I don't want to be, you know, the next hashtag. The you know, they they're still doing it. The ones who are checking the box and just like, listen, I'm just protecting myself for right now. Those are the ones that you see are really, you know, are now back into the resistance, almost like we gave you your time. Now we're, we're yeah, moving And on. now we're back out again. Mm-hmm. And have you found that there's a, been a, a variable scale of the size of business that have wanted to engage with what it is that you're doing? You know, obviously you've got businesses that are kind of, you know, a handful of employees, three, four, five employees, and then you've got your kind of your multinationals. Have you found that there's a sliding scale or, or kind of a, a sweet spot of the companies that actually want to take on what you're doing? Or, you know, some people, obviously there'll always be people that are resistant towards it. But what's kind of, what, what type of businesses do you go into? Um, what type of size businesses, I suppose? Yeah. So I work with small businesses to multi-billion dollar global companies. In that kind of two-year period, what I saw was mostly um, what you would call maybe mid-size to the multi-billion dollar global companies saying, hey, we need your help because they have a, uh, you know, they had larger workforces who were probably more diverse in terms of like the lower rungs of their workforce and people who were very vocal. And so they, they didn't have a choice, (laughs) some of Mm -hmm. them, right? Because people were like, oh, you need to do something about this. And just society in general is like, you need to do something about this. So what I found is that, you know, the, the bigger size companies, more mid big, you know, to larger size companies were the ones who were reaching out and really trying to make a difference around this, around this topic. Yeah. And as you said, some people buy in and some don't, but probably at the time when you started out doing that, more people were in as opposed to out, isn't it? And you think now that kind of people have gone back to their normal day-to-day lives, they kind of maybe, is that the resistance that you feel that's come along with it on occasion? Yeah. Cause it's almost yeah. like we've given, we gave you the focus. Like we, we gave you that time. You had your time. We're now moving on to something else. I live in a state where my governor says we're not talking about any of this. Right. He, right. he, he just put out a statement like we're out of the DEI game. It's not a game, right? This is, this is life. This is real life. This is people's lives. It really does impact, right? People's lives for black people. Often it's a matter of life and death right mm-hmm. around these issues and so when there is that pushback you you have to you have to think about it and and especially if you're in an organization where there is this pushback it's like well who do you care about do you care about the people in the organization do you care about me or do you only care about a certain group of people in your organization and so when you see this resistance it really does bring up a sense of you know I don't belong here I'm not yeah. valued here you don't care about me. You only did what you did during that time so that you wouldn't get bad publicity. So now it's back to the, you know, the old saying about, you know, profits over people, 
Yeah. Right. And just worrying about what your bottom line looks like. What does your reputation look like in this moment? But the minute you get the freedom to just, you know, push back a little or just say, I'm going to put that back on the back burner as it was or make it, you know, a project or not included in our strategic planning, then, you know, you're like, yeah, let's go with that. Um, okay. And so it, it it is it's disheartening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's disheartening. It's frustrating. It makes us work harder, but it also um, makes you want to do it even more so that you can pull people in. And it's one of the reasons that I do what I do the way that I do it, because I understand that there's resistance. I always, I always say this to my clients or when I'm doing training, I said, you know, listen, I know that when I'm speaking to you, I have a different people here, right? And I think about it like planting a seed. So for some of you, I'm gonna plant the seed and right away you're gonna it's gonna take root. You're like, yes, I'm all in, let's go. Some of you I'm gonna plant the seed and it's gonna take time, right? It's gonna you're gonna have to water it, you're gonna have to nurture it, and eventually it it will come, right? It will start to bear fruit. And some of you are going to say, take that seed out of my garden. I don't want any parts of this. And that's okay. Right. Because there are those people and we have to acknowledge in the world. We cannot be naive enough to think that everyone is going to want to have these conversations. They don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you ju- you just have to be realistic. The work sometimes is exhausting. Sometimes you want to give up, but I know that I cannot. Right. Yeah. So I have to keep going and I have to figure out how do I make this not that it's palatable because that's not what I'm here for or to make you comfortable. That's not what I'm here for. What I'm here for and what I am committed to doing is creating safe spaces where anybody, even the ones who say, take the seed out of my garden, will even at least stay and listen, right? Open their, open their hearts because at some point they may change their mind. So for me, that's my goal is really to create the space to have the dialogue, to have people engage, to gather information, to analyze information so that they can make different choices. Yeah. And by all accounts, it's the exposure that you're given to them, isn't it? Whether they want to be in or out, you know, at least you've, at least they've been exposed to it and then they can make new decisions on the information that they've been given really, isn't it? It's it's a bit of a bit of a wider scope. And so what type of impact do you think that that makes within an organisation? What type of, you know, if you say one of your large organisations that you go in and you maybe train, would you train all levels of staff in there or sometimes, I know it'll vary in each organisation, but you know, if you, if you do go back in later on and kind of check out what the impact Spain on that as well? Yes. So within organizations, I train at all levels. So staff levels, you know, mid-management, also executive teams. And depending on the organization, sometimes what we do is separate them. So even when we were doing um, listening sessions, this is something that I that I would talk to my clients about, about separating people so that they could have conversations about things that they wouldn't feel comfortable having across, you know, you know, the hierarchy. And so one of my clients, I'll I'll just say one of my clients that for this has been going on since the pandemic for years that we have been working with them around doing their training, around doing listening sessions. Now what we're going to be doing is like what we call safe space to really give people an opportunity. And what I found is that by having these conversations and also having conversations that are separate conversations, it allows people to be more open and explain, you know, and and be able to express themselves in a way that they may not if other people were there. 
and also to really enlighten people. So when, you know, when I was an employment lawyer, obviously we talked, you know, we had cases around race, all that, but we didn't have conversations around that. Now we have environments where we can actually have these conversations. And so it's really great to to watch the the change and watch people's faces and watch their you know their bodies especially on Zoom when you have someone in your organization who is sharing a story with you about something that you otherwise just say oh that happens out there that doesn't really happen i've just seen that on the news now it's a person who's sitting next to you now it's a person who you've known for years and you didn't even know that this was their experience. And so what it has done is in these organizations that I've worked with, what it really does is open up what I call conversational cultures so that people now feel comfortable to have conversations. They're still not easy, right? Some yeah. of these conversations are still difficult, but what it does is create an environment now where people feel that they can have a conversation. They can express how they're feeling. They can express, you know, whether something is, you know, is impacting them positively or negatively. Right. And so that's what I've seen in the, in these organizations that it's now a more open environment to discuss things that we never thought possible in workplaces. And not only that, giving them the tools to be able to have those conversations in a way that they're proactive, in a way that they're productive, in a way that they're honest and open, right? And that they're not, I'm just not like word vomiting on you and just, you know, having a conversation and, you know, telling you what I think and not listening to what, what you're, you know, what you're saying. So it's really creating those spaces where people feel heard, where they feel valued, where they feel that they matter. Right. I think that that's really important for people to know that they matter, that their voice matters, their feelings, their experiences, their life, that their life matters. And I think the impact that you also would be having is kind of the outside of the work environment, isn't it? About how they deal with day-to-day life situations. And I'm a a governor of a um, secondary school and our demographic really is kind of white, middle-class kind of that that at the school. But then actually we've been really shocked by an incident that took place quite recently. We've been shocked by the parents of the children at the school and I mean at the last governor's meeting the um the head teacher read through kind of what a parent had emailed him which was absolutely disgusting from a from a racial discrimination point of view it was absolutely disgusting and it does obviously do in the role that I do but it does make you think actually you think more, more people are aware in kind of everyday work and you know living circumstances that actually that's not all right to say you know you can't just say what you're thinking you can't just put it all on paper and then send it to kind of a, an authority head um at that point and so I think obviously the work that you will be doing is the fact that you're educating people, not just for the workplace, but also outside of the workplace. And and I think the bit that concerned me was actually, therefore, that child of that of the parent who made these comments, that that is, that's the perception that they're also going to have a kind of, you know, 11, 12 year old, that they're, that's the conversation that's obviously happening at home. And then, then kind of the impact that that makes across, you know, for their future and within the school environments that they're, they're not as accepting of people with different ethnic origins. I think you don't necessarily think about it as much as until you're presented with something like that and you think that's that's terrible. Right. That actually, we're still in that situation where people aren't educated enough. And that particular person, I actually knew who it was who'd uh, done it and they work in a store, they work in a pharmacy, you know, so kind of 
without being too awful, but kind of that level of role. Um, but you would, but deals with the public and deals with people in different, you know, different religions, different kind of sectors, different environments. And you just, you, I was just still so surprised that that type of thing happens as much as, as obviously what it does. Really, yeah. you just don't expect it on your doorstep, as you said before, really. Yeah. I think what the, 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 these past few years have really shown us is that People have been thinking these things. They have been saying these things. But now you have people who are more emboldened to say the quiet part out loud. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've created these environments where people feel free to express their hatred. Right. Their their whatever, you know, their ideologies right, that are damaging to other people. They feel free now to express it. It doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. All these things have been happening. They've just been under the rug, right? And so, whereas people would complain, right? So, in my cases, people would say, you know, they said someone said this to me or they did this. And you're like, no, like, you know, that could, I just don't believe that. And now you see people saying it. And, you know, to your point, it's people of all walks of life, yeah, <laughs> right? It is, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not just like, oh, it's these people over here in this socioeconomic sector or what. No, it's everybody. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. everybody across all spectrums um, who now believe that it's okay to just say what they want to say. And in some, you know, in some respects for me, I would rather know that. Right. Mm -hmm. I would rather you say it than be behind my back and, you know, doing things to me. And I'm like, I know something's happening. And then you feel like somebody's gaslighting you because you're saying, no, this is happening. And people are like, no, 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 that's no, you must be thinking yeah. things when now it's just people just say it or they just do it. And you're like, OK, right. <laughs> this is really what's what's happening. And you know, to your point about, you know, this being a parent of a child and this is what they're hearing and seeing and growing up with, all of this stuff is learned, right? Mm -hmm. Hate is learned. Definitely. Racism yeah. is learned. It's all learned because if we see children when they're small and they're playing with each other, they don't care. Yeah. But we mm -hmm. learn these things and we teach these things. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's so important to for me and the work that I do to really open people's hearts because it's, it's here. Like it's our, you know, what, what are we feeling on the inside about ourselves and other people? And if we can get to that point in people and, and allow them to open that space, then we can, you know, then we can start to help them to change their minds. And my job is not to change your mind is to open your heart so that you can change your mind. Yeah. So probably comes a lot around, well, two things I was thinking about there. It's very much about mindset, obviously kind of, you know, working on people's own mindset and obviously you helping them to be able to do that as well. But I was just thinking without trying to go too far off, off kilter of this, um, but obviously all of this impacts upon things like social media, doesn't it? You know, so the likes of Twitter being a big, the, probably the biggest one from my point of view. My husband reads all sorts on Twitter. I've banned him from it at the minute because because there's there's like views on there continuously, isn't there? And a lot of it's kind of negativity that's on there, and and people can't raise the raise the head back up to get back into a positive place because there's so much negativity that takes place on that. And, and I think that definitely impacts upon what people think as well because it chips away at you, doesn't it? You know, there's more information from that, and then they see that part of it, and somebody else says this and it, it escalates and you can see why people get carried away with situations because that's what they're seeing and that's what they think real life is at the moment isn't it what you're seeing there on on social media videos footage everything that goes on I think it makes such a massive impact upon everything 
Yeah, because all of those things, social media, whether it's Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, it's it's an echo chamber, right? So it's, yeah. it allows you to just amplify everything. And, and, and it also, for people who have what's called confirmation bias, it's really a place for them to get entrenched. And that's how we see, you know, people get indoctrinated into all of these things because it's like, okay, I believe this. And you can find somebody, some group, some, you know, Twitter account who like is going to feed everything about that. And even though you see things that are to the contrary, because you're so entrenched in that point of view, that you are just, you are only going to feed into the things that confirm that for you. So you're going down the rabbit hole. You're, you're just going to keep trying to feed and feed and feed. And especially if it's negative, right? And if it's, if it's hateful. Um, it, that, that does something to you, right? Yeah. When, when you are continuously reading things like that and feeding into that and your body starts to react, your nervous system reacts to that, your brain starts to react, like your feet, you want more and more and more and more because you get this feeling and it's like, oh, so I need more of that. And then you see something that is contrary and your body's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, because yes. that's taking us out of this, you know, this mm-hmm. feeling that we have. So it is, you know, it is really dangerous. And that's why I say like, you know, the communication, when we communicate, we have conversations. We often think that it's just, you know, two people or, you know, people having this verbal exchange, but it is text messages and social media and emails and, you know, Twitter and all the things, you know, things that we listen to. It all is impacting how we behave. It's all feeding um, our biases. And to the extent that those biases are negative, it's feeding those. And then what we do is we then act on those biases to the detriment of an individual or a group of people. Yeah. And if you think, I mean, you've just listed some of the different things there. If you think about the the amount of information that we take in every day, um, you know, whether whether you're in the car and you're driving and you're on the radio or listening to podcast or whether you're on social media, all the different platforms that we've got available, emails, text messages, WhatsApp messages, it's kind of a continuous influx of information all the time, isn't it? And actually you can, you can allow yourself to get absorbed in that. And it's really difficult to step back out, isn't it? To be able to think, I know I had a holiday in February time and kind of took a couple of weeks where I didn't really have a huge amount of internet connection. I really quite liked it, you know, because you, you kind of, you restrict yourself and you fed in what you wanted as opposed to all of this information that's coming in day in, day out. So it's, it is quite nice to be able to step away from it every now and again, because you've got so much general information that comes in day in, day out, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they say you get 11 million bits of information per second in your brain, but you can only consciously process about 40 of them. So right. you know, I always say, where do the 10 million hundreds of thousands of bits go? Right. Yeah, and I uh-huh. say it goes in your junk drawer. And at some point, which, which I call your amygdala, right your brain, the junk drawer. And, and you know, then mm-hmm. you, you respond based on those things, depending on what situation that you're in. But yes, you are getting so much information and because now we you know we have all these things there's ai there's you know every you don't even know really what's real and what's not real yeah uh-huh. and you i know? think that's part of it i think people are fed information all the time and actually you're not if you've got a particular mindset around something then you're just fed into that mindset aren't you and somebody else feeds you something else and you think yeah well that must be right because i've heard it and that in that circumstance wherever wherever the content that's come from but interestingly around things like ai and obviously chat chat gpt they're mm-hmm. all kind of new ways of being able to 
to generate information and kind of deal with work as well, isn't it? And kind of content that's being provided. So it, again, it's a it's a new it's a new area, isn't it? I, I probably um, kind of only I've only learned about it over the last few months, um, but kind of it's it's a new area that people are going to take more information in there as well. Yeah. And, you know, it'll be, you know, I don't practice anymore, but it, it'll be interesting to see how those things play into, um, you know, what's happening inside of organizations and, you know, how that plays out, for example, in a court case. But now they have, you know, they, when, when you're thinking about, you know, things that people say, or you, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm an employee and I'm saying, well, this manager said this to me, this employee, you know, did this to me. And you have AI where you can mimic somebody's voice. Yeah. Right. And so now you can create these things. You know, mm-hmm. how does that work? And so I think it's really important when, you know, when we're talking about these organizations and these cultures to really be mindful of creating an environment where people, Feel that that you know that there's openness, there's honesty, that, that they that they can trust what's happening in the organization. They can trust that there are people you know that are are you know out for their best interest, and to really create these these environments where you would know, like you know, like you know who's in the organization, right? So you know, yeah. Mary's not gonna say that. John didn't mm-hmm. say that, right? Yeah. Right. So there's like a second guessing around. Mm-hmm. And in and, and some ways, people might get mad at me and say, you know, why is, you know, second guessing? What I mean by that is not discounting, right? Mm-hmm. It's not discounting. It's like, you know, trust, but verify, right? So we know who we we know in this organization. We know the people who are here. We have conversations. We've spoken to them. Now this situation comes up. Hmm, let's look into it, right? There's a healthy dose of you know, let's let's verify that the information is there because we do have all of these things out here that can create environments and create situations that on on the surface seem to be true, but may not otherwise be true. So it's not about discounting. It's just about really making sure that you've created an environment where if something like that happens, you have enough distance between what is normal and what seems to be right, maybe mm-hmm. abnormal or seems to be out of character for you to be able to hone in and de- and and determine. And it may be maybe you know who people you know have shown up to be are yes. not really who they are. Maybe it's true, but it gives you that ability to to really be objective and start to look at things objectively and investigate what there is as opposed to just taking everything at face value and, or just discounting everything. Yeah. You know, just because, you know, certain people say it, you know, say that, that something happened. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously we do a lot of investigations when we're doing, um, workplace situations or whether it's a grievance that's being put in or a part of a disciplinary process, you know, an, an investigation. So, such an important element of it and and speaking to as many people as possible because really what you need is the true story that takes place and and we always come back to different perceptions isn't it kind of you know what I looked at and what you looked at in the same situation is two completely different stories and trying to take that apart to kind of understand and understand correctly how someone might perceive something again makes a, a massive play into those situations I think it, the the investigation element of it's so important in in all the organizations to ultimately get to to where you were with um you've kind of been in a any situation yeah. at least you've got your your backup and your information there to be able to quantify what what decisions have been making um throughout the process as well 
Yeah. And, you know, doing investigations is one of the most difficult conversations, right? Yeah. So I did investigations for 20 something years as an employment lawyer. And then I wrote a book about how to effectively do these investigations because it is one of the most difficult conversations to have. And you have to have a plan. And so, you know, when I train on um, courageous conversations now and how to engage in having these difficult conversations, you know, the two things I always tell people, you don't remember anything else that I tell you is think about why, like, what is the intention? Why is it that I'm going to have this conversation? And what is the objective? What is the outcome that I'm hoping for? How do I want, what do I want to get out of it? What do I want the other person or people who are involved in this conversation, investigation, whatever it is, how do I want them to, to come out of this? Right. And so, you know, when you're talking about investigations, you're you're having conversations with people, you're interviewing people, you're trying to yeah. gather information. And so the same skills that it takes to have an invest, you know, to have a conversation around a performance issue or, you know, a family issue or, you know, whatever it is, it's the same skill set. It, it is really about being able to communicate in a way that you're having a dialogue with someone that you are trying to, you know, that there's a free flow of information, like honest and open, you know, information and understanding that where, where are you trying to go with this? Right. Oftentimes we just have conversations. We just talk to people or we send a message and we don't think about like what is on the other side of this. Right. Why am I sending this? Why am I saying this? Why did I send this email? Right. And, you know, just thinking long term, especially inside of an organization, what could be the potential impact? of this, right? So I was saying at the beginning when I had, you know, my, one of my last trials, we had that one email. It wasn't a long email. It was a very short email, but the person didn't think of what are the potential ramifications of the words that I'm using? And actually the word, the email itself was not a problem in terms of what they were saying. It's just that because it wasn't worded properly inside of the context, the bigger context, then we had to try to explain that away. And the jury was like, mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so we have to be mindful of that. Like, what is the context around these conversations? What is the content, right, of the conversations? And then what is going, wh- what are we trying to achieve on the other side of it? Like, what is the conclusion yeah. of this conversation? And how does this impact everyone who um, potential and p- impact? that you know direct impact and potentially impacts um yeah. whoever you know could be affected by it or impacted by it and i think there's so many valid points in there because it is we often kind of start off with well what do you want the outcome to be and i don't think enough people as they're writing an email or sending something don't actually think about the impact that's making upon the person that they're sending the email to um and i was just laughing before we came in here if i received an email today and someone asked a question and then the woman the woman's just sent me an email and back and said i will spell it out for you when she's put it in capital letters <laughs> and i just think it's really rude right. <laughs> i just think i know exactly what you're trying to say but i just you know i just think it's really rude the way that you've tried to approach it which which then doesn't help in a situation does it because you inevitably don't want to give more because actually I was helping you before but now you've you've been rude towards me and it kind of makes me think well you know and and you have to think about the consequence of what that might be you yeah. know when you write something like that whether it's that or kind of you know something more severe um you have to think about the consequences of it to enable 
somebody to want to help you to be able to do whatever it is that you're requesting and yeah. not offending people. You know, you need we need to ensure that we don't offend the people that are receiving it. Um, and I think the other good point that you mentioned there was around obviously, you know, having those difficult conversations with people. And many of our, uh, our clients are, are smaller businesses and they don't necessarily want to have difficult conversations because actually tomorrow they still need to manage those people and they still need to manage the business. Um, and they really kind of struggle with, right, okay, what, what can I say? What happens if I say the wrong thing? What happens if they some, say something to me? And and even we've been in situations where we think, actually, if somebody other than people who'd been trained professionals in doing this had gotten to that situation, they would have made a complete mess out of it because they, they you know, they, they enable to try and get us on our back feet, um, which is, but people end up in those type of situations. So the book that you wrote, is that was that long ago? Or have you just recently published that? The Courageous Conversations? I actually wrote it um, during the pandemic. So what right. happened was um, Raymond James had me um, facilitate their first ever town hall on race in the wake of what happened with George Floyd. And after I did that, they asked me if I could train their leaders, some of their leaders on how to have these conversations. How do we really engage around this? And so I put together um, what I call the perfect framework for courageous conversations to really give um, succinct, clear guidance around what do you do to prepare for the conversation? What do you do when you're engaging, like as you're engaging in the conversation and what is this conversation? And then, you know, what do you do to reflect on it? Because so we have these conversations, oftentimes we have the conversations and then it ends, but we don't think about, okay, now we've had this conversation, what's next, yeah. right? So, so how do we make sure that what we've accomplished during this conversation, we don't damage? So I call it, you know, don't cause collateral damage. But also what's next, like, you know, following up and following through and, you know, what are the deliverables from the, the conversation? So all of those things. So I decided to just put it in like a real small book oh, yeah. that you yeah, could, could keep in your, you know, on your desk or in your purse or in your briefcase or whatever that just walks you through the process. Um, I'm actually about to rewrite the book. Um, it'll be bigger now, but, you know, but it will still be just really practical. I'm, I'm a very practical person. Right. Yeah. And so I want to always leave um, whoever I'm training, whoever I'm speaking with. I want to leave you with practical things that you can implement, that you can do that don't seem daunting. It's already hard enough to think I have to have this difficult conversation or this conversation about this difficult issue. And now here's Kelly with a matrix <laughs> right, <laughs> of how to do all this. No, I want to give you very practical, easy um, things that are effective that I, that I know if I leave you with that, you could at least take some of that and then, you know, start your process and the journey of having these types of conversations. Yeah. I just think there's so much kind of difficulty in people having those conversations anyway and not knowing how to handle them. So I think it's kind of a, it's a perfect example of how to do it. And I think if it's a bit of a how-to guide, as you say, <laughs> as opposed to kind of matrix where it's feeding people lots of information, they've then got a cycle through of kind of what's the right thing to, to do with what situation. Because we often will, if um, a company wants to do it themselves, we'll give them the prep work to do it, you know, kind of say this, say this, say it like this. You know, these are the questions that you need to ask. So, because then they feel independent enough that they've gone off to do it, but they've got some kind of paper to make sure that they've kind of taken it through at the right stages and that they're, that they're doing the right thing at the right time. Um, because inevitably that's what people struggle with, isn't it? You know, and, and when people don't know enough, 
in certain roles because if a, a business owner is set up and all of a sudden they've now got 20 or 30, 40, 50 staff, they don't know yeah. how to manage the people, so to speak. They've just had a great idea that's grown and grown um, and they don't always know what the right things to do along the way are, I would, I would often think. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we make things more complicated than they need to be. And then what it does is just have people resist. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if the goal is, again, going back to why am I doing this? What do I want to have happen? If my goal is to create, you know, help organizations create conversational cultures, create, you know, cultures where people feel that I can go say this, I can go have a conversation, then I need to give you the skills that you, you know, clearly so that you can feel confident enough and then have the courage to go have it. If I'm, you know, giving you all the (laughs) esoterics and the theory and all of that stuff, that's important, right? For you to understand that. But when it comes down to it, it's like, what do I do? I need to have this conversation today. I needed to have this conversation last week. And now I'm like, there's no other choice I must. So Mm -hmm. what do I do? Right. So giving them a, 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 you know, 500 word dissertation around it is not going to help. It's like, no, here, prepare for the conversation. Do this while you're in the conversation. Be mindful of this. When the conversation is done, right? Then do this. this. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a reflection on it as well. We often say to, to people, kind of have those conversations. And if you don't do them very often, remember to f- reflect back on them, make some notes. Then when you come to do it again in maybe six months time, go back to where you made the notes. So at least you've got some reference point of what you did well, what you would have improved, what you kind of, you know, what you thought you let yourself down on, but what you thought you did amazing at, you know, write those things down. So actually they're a bit of a, bit of a guide for you for the future to be able to go back to, if you remember where you write the, um, the, write the reflection on. But I think it's just as important to do that. So people know that they're doing the right thing at the right time or feel comfortable about what it is that they've done. And we often say that actually it's, yes, you're having the difficult conversation. You've labelled it as being that, but ultimately it's because of someone else has done something that's created a difficult situation that needs to happen, isn't it? So it's kind of trying to reassure people that actually it's, it's just because of their role that that's why they need to undertake what it is that they need to undertake um, as well. So really interesting. Yeah. And I think also, you know, to your point of taking notes and really looking, you know, doing a debrief, right, for Mm -hmm. your own self on the conversation, when you also have these um, cultures in your organization where we're having discussions, we're talking, we're communicating is just the norm, that also becomes fodder for other communication. Hey, you know, I had this you maybe you have team leaders or you have managers or you have executives together and that could be a, a conversation point right so hey let's talk about you know some best practices or what you found like you know when you had this conversation what did you do here's what i found that worked you know and so now it that also breeds other conversations so that you can start to develop the skills and learn from other people so that whole reflection piece that debriefing is so vitally important yeah. And I think it really helps that our class, you know, people who've been promoted, you know, they've been great at this job and they think, right, okay, we'll promote them and put them at the next level. But actually they're not a people, people manager. They were just great at doing whatever the role actually was. And then you 
Yeah, and it's those accidental managers that then struggle with knowing how to just hold a conversation, isn't it, and do it in the right way. And I remember years gone by, um, I used to work in automotive and there was a guy, I was probably about 24, 25 at the time, and he was probably about 62, 63, being in the army for years and years and years. And and I remember just delivering a message, you know, it was kind of like, this is what I need to say. Well, he used to just absolutely go crazy with me and kind of that naivety of that age, thinking, well, I've just told him what I need to tell him, but actually then understand and learn how to tailor yourself to what it is that you need to deliver and the people that you're delivering it to was such a valuable lesson. I still remember kind of the instinctive point when I thought, ah, I did that wrong, you know, because it's, you know, it just, it stuck with me of kind of actually that's, that's one of the big learning lessons that I got at that time, which actually takes you through the the following kind of next 20 years that you've been able to understand what was right and wrong in that and reflect on it and, and know what you'll do again in the future. Um, obviously many situations since then, but that was kind of a very pivotal point for me um, to understand the right and wrong from, from that point, I think, um, to be able to go in. Yeah. So I think the other thing that obviously we haven't covered off, obviously you do keynote speaking. So you do keynote speaking. Is that around the areas that we've discussed there as well? Um, so you do that and you do them into different forums and is it just into businesses or do you do that into kind of conferences and things as well? Everywhere. So keynotes, workshops, so trainings that are around, you know, 90 minutes. I And um, actually I just developed a new program called the um, Convo Catalyst Challenge which is to make my courageous conversations more interactive. So that's either a, we'll do it as a, a five day virtual challenge or a four hour in person, um, intensive, but fireside chats, any way that, you know, people are having events, whether it's an internal or external event. So conferences, as we work with associations, corporations, my goal is just to really get people talking. Yeah. <laughs> I want people mm-hmm. to, I want to get people talking and I want to get people trained on how to really, you know, engage in these conversations effectively. Yeah. Brilliant. And then you also do some speaker mentoring, which obviously we mentioned at the very beginning. So is that where you're, you're, I've got other people that want to do public speaking and then you're training them and helping them to be able to get to that position? Yes. So I work with people who are experts in their field to really um, hone their message. So I developed what's called the Signature Talk Blackprint, and it's a four phase process for how they take really distill their expertise into their message. So we take them through an entire process of really understanding their why and really uncovering that and tying that to their expertise and then taking that and putting it into a message that takes people on a journey that really understands the problem that you're trying to resolve, who you're trying to resolve it for, and just taking them on this journey to whatever the solution is or the call to action that you want to make. But for me, as a, as a speaker, especially really working with corporations a lot, understanding that they don't, you know, yes, sometimes they want somebody to come and like rah-rah and motivate. No, but for the most part, and being a lawyer and understanding what, you know, what um corporations need, they need transformation. They need shifted perspectives in their, you know, in their organizations. And so when we help um develop these talks, it's not just, oh, just tell me what you want to talk about and you know, let's have a introduction and three things and, you know, a conclusion and just go out there and, you know, do what you gotta do. do. (laughs) It it is an entire in-depth process. So under each phase, we have what are the building blocks and we really work with them, work with our clients um, to, to really develop. And I always tell them it's to make sure that you're not Googleable, 
right? And at this point that you're not chat GPT-able, right? Yeah. <laughs> because if, if it comes from within you and it, it's really deeply rooted in your expertise and your why, it's something that you'll be able to deliver at any time, in any moment, um, that any, and answer any question, right? Have mm-hmm. any type of conversation, um, it, as opposed to a lot of people who just, oh, I just want to talk about that. I, you know, I just have a passion or an interest in that and I'm going to talk about it. There's a difference. And so it's why I, I choose experts as opposed to people who are just like, oh, I just want to speak. No, I want people who really want to create an impact in the world, understand the value that they bring and are able to then communicate that value to others and then transform people and shift people. Right. That seems really, really interesting. Kind of, you know, as you said, it's, it's about getting the the expertise of people there that actually they can do it with ease at any time in any given place, isn't it? That doesn't need to be massively prepped and prepared to be able to do something like that and um, to imagine a, a lot more at ease and flow as well. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of go through from a, a kind of a wrapping up point of view, because I've had so much useful information that's come from you and obviously really interesting from a fact of kind of, you know, the, the US element of things and kind of the similarities between what it is that we, that we do within business businesses and, and how it's approached. And I think the angle that you've taken is is so interesting that actually you've taken what is kind of the day-to-day concerns and problems within businesses and how you've then been able to transport that into being a positive aspect and what businesses can do to move forward. So I think that's brilliant. What would be your one biggest piece of advice um, from a business owner or manager that they could realistically implement to build a conversational culture? Yeah. I think the first thing to do is just start talking. And it's not, you don't have to start with difficult issues, right? I think often we are in our organizations and the person who's down the hall, we've never even spoken to them. You go to a big meeting, you're like, oh, that person works early. You don't even know who's there. And so the easiest thing to start doing is to just go and have a conversation with someone. How are you doing? Hey, how was your weekend? Just something that's that's non-threatening, I would say, right? Or just an easy thing to have. Because what happens is when you start to have conversations with people, it is easier to have a difficult conversation with somebody that you know, or that you have already had some affinity, right? You've created some affinity with than okay, the first time that you're ever speaking to me is now you're going to be talking to me about this difficult thing. So the easiest thing to do is just start speaking to people. Yeah. So kind of just, uh, and it's, and it's that informality, isn't it? That when you are speaking to people and you ask them about, as you say, weekends, what they've done in the home life or, you know, kind of family friends situations, then it does kind of ease a situation, which makes it easier as you're passing in the corridor that you, you have just got some topic of point to be able to have conversation yeah. with. So that's really interesting. And from your point of view, obviously kind of experience in so many different areas, where can our listeners find out more about you and about what you do? So the easiest thing is to go to my website, Kelly Charles Collins with an S on the end.com. So Kelly Charles Collins.com. You can find out all about me there. So uh, thank you very much for obviously being with us today. And thank you for the people that have been listening to the Real World HR podcast. And uh, I really, really appreciate your time, Kelly. And obviously for joining us and sharing your insights that you've had and just the, the world of experience that you've had there as well. You can find more information about the things that we've discussed on this episode in the show notes. Please do subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And please do leave us a rating and a review. With the Real World HR, putting the human back into HR.